0: Uh, let's pause and pray, and let's uh, let's look at the scripture together. Father in heaven, we just stop and say thank you. Thank you for allowing us the privilege and the grace of being your children, of being adopted sons and daughters with all of the inheritance rights that come with that title. Not because we deserve it, but because you're rich in love and mercy, and you determined according to the pleasure of your will to give us all of this through Christ Jesus. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to to understand the enormity of who you are as our sovereign king, as the merciful lover of our souls, as the one who works every single detail of life for our eternal good, and to understand the enormity of our salvation that's so big, so high, so wide, so deep that we will never fully comprehend um, what you have done on our behalf to make us your sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us in this moment through your word, that we would sense your presence draw near to us to um, not only uh, challenge us to think, but also just challenge us to surrender ourselves in faith to you. So I pray you'd help me to deliver this in a way that is truthful and passionate and, and humble. In Christ's name I pray, amen. In light of uh, the fact that it's Mother's Day, I thought I'd start on a mothery note. Um, I know mothery is actually not a word, but you can pretty much make anything a word if you put an Y at the end of it. Like, you know, I think this is salmon. It's salmon-y color. Anyway, <laughs> mother. So the arrival of our first child. We were told we were pregnant in 1996 in the summer. A few weeks later, and it's actually a little bit more than that, um, we were told that his due date was going to be April 10th. So from the summer of 96 to April of 1997, we got ready, and we prepared, and we bought stuff. You know, it's like it takes a warehouse of stuff for one tiny seven-pound baby in the shape of a peanut. Uh, Well, we neared the, the due date of April 10th, and he is the illustrious piano player, by the way, up here with the cowboy hat. Um, and and it, and it came April 10th, great anticipation my wife 's mother, Levina, flew in, and she was there to help catch the peanut, you know and uh, and no baby on the tenth, not on the eleventh, twelfth, no baby, thirteenth, no baby, fourteenth, no baby, fifteenth no baby, sixteenth, no baby, seventeenth, still no baby, eighteenth, no baby, nineteenth, no baby. 20th, he finally arrived in the wee hours of the morning, um, and then this hospital we were, he was delivered at um, brought us filet mignon lobster tail and a little bottle of champagne. That doesn't happen these days, but it was amazing. It was so exciting. Um, of course, the date, April 20th, just so happens to coincidentally be National Marijuana Day, and, <laughs> Adolf Hitler's birthday, but we were super happy that he arrived. I had a hard time waiting that that long. It was just like, you know, and you didn't have cell phones back then, so it's like you had to stay close to a landline just to, you know, hey, I'm I'm feeling contractions. So it was, I was nervous, I was anxious, and I was I just I, I hated waiting. And my wife will tell you. Um, that I am a horrible waiter. I, I just, I don't wait well. I'm an impatient person. I'm becoming increasingly self-aware of that and I'm working on it. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I was in Rayleighs, and I was gonna stop by and pick up a couple pounds of burger, you know, for tacos. And I'll tell you, if there was a, a sport called getting burger at Rayleighs in the Olympics, I would be the fastest, I would get a gold medal. I can do it in two seconds. I know exactly where it is, where the 90% lean meat is. Well, this time I'm coming in, there's one guy standing at the long uh, Rayleighs. it's not a, well, it's a meat aisle with the little glass doors. He was the only one. There wasn't anybody standing in front of the chicken or the turkey or the, or the pork. I don't know what I, I, uh, Adam's going to say about this meat thing. He's going to come up with something. But, <laughs> but there's one guy, and he's standing in front of the burger door. And it's open, and it's resting against him, and he picks up a thing of burger, and he looks at it, and he just like, eight or nine seconds, looking at the meat. And, and then he puts it back, and this is no joke, and he grabs a different one, and he picks it up and he looks at it. He puts that down, then he grabs the bite ground bison, he picks it up and looks at it. And I'm thinking to myself, it's just burger, dude. Just grab it and go. I can do this in two seconds. He picked up a fourth one, did the same thing, and at this point, I'm actually scolding myself. I'm going, Dan. You don't know what's going on in his life. You know, relax. Be patient. Let him get his meat. After the fifth time. And he, he seriously, he investigated like it was a crime scene. And then he put it back, closed the door, never bought any meat. I could feel the frustration rise. That is true. I, I, I'm just saying this by way of confession. I don't wait well. What I also know is that I am not alone. (laughs) A lot of you in that same situation, standing in front of the hamburger section, would have the same feelings like, are you kidding me? (laughs) And yet at the same time, and this is where we turn a little serious, um, is the discipline of waiting is critical to our relationship with Jesus. The ability to wait is critical to our relationship with God. If we can't wait, we are going to make all kinds of bad decisions. That is, it necessitates, especially in a broken world where nothing truly satisfies, um, waiting is absolutely essential in our relationship with God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is just this idea of, of waiting on the Lord, from a very, very um, well-known passage in Isaiah that is both challenging and, I think, at the same time, encouraging. So let me back up. We're going to focus on verse 31, but to give the flow, and I'm also going to reference it, go back to verse 29. He, referring to God, gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Powerful passage. There's a reason why people know this one because it's just that good. You know, there's a contrast in here between two sources of power, two sources of strength human strength and divine strength, human power, divine power. In our own experience, and Isaiah gets it right, and so does the world we live in, the highest concentration of strength is in youth, right? There's a reason why they don't allow 50-year-olds to go into the military, because our bones are more brittle and because we wear out easier. No, they want 18, 19-year-olds that are like Energizer bunnies. They just go and go and go, and they have rubber bones, right? Police officers, you know, like bring a police officer in at the age of 60. No, you need a young guy who's hopefully not dumb, but, you know, he's got a lot of strength. So you guys know we have this really cool young adult ministry going on on Monday nights, and I was told that last week, I think we were exceeded 60 uh, young people, and Adam oversees that. is doing an amazing job, and, and uh, he tells me, tells us, sometimes that these young adults like to stick around at church so 1 and 2 in the morning. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Like, it turns 12, I turned into a pumpkin. Not literally, but unless I'm playing darts, I can stay up really late. But for the most part, I start to shut down. I don't have that kind of energy anymore. But they do. But here's the thing. Even energizer bunnies wear down. Even youth grow faint and are weary. Even young men on the battlefield fall exhausted. Human strength and power is is limited, both emotionally and physically and spiritually. It's just, it only has so much to give until it's done. But here's the opposite. The opposite is but those who wait for the Lord. And notice, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. God is a source of a different kind of strength. And you'll notice there's this kind of, well, this is a major biblical theme that it ties into The one who relies on human energy becomes weak. And the one who relies on divine energy or grace is made strong. And that is part of what the Bible teaches us. When we're humble and weak and we look to him, we find strength. But I wanna clarify something. When God gives strength to his people, it's not like he does it in a disconnected way. Like, hey, you need some spiritual energy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to huck you a spiritual Gatorade, and you're going to drink it, and you're going to feel great. His power comes to his people by way of his presence. God draws near like a best friend draws near and gives you comfort and strength. Only he's not just a best friend. He's God himself. He walks with you. That is how he strengthens you. His presence draws near. God's power for his people always comes in his presence. So he's there with you. And the difference between these two of experiencing the human strength that wears out versus the divine strength that continues on and on and on is this thing we call waiting. Waiting for the Lord. All of us are waiting for stuff. You just take a quick inventory. If you're really, really young, you're waiting for your permit or you're waiting for your license or maybe you're waiting to turn 18 and get out of high school and do something different with your life. Maybe you're waiting to get married or waiting for that special someone to appear onto the scene or maybe you're waiting to get pregnant or waiting to retire, waiting for your prodigal son or daughter to return to the faith, waiting for things to change in this country, waiting for gas prices to drop would be great especially when you drive a diesel. Waiting. We all wait for something. But the question is, we don't just wait for something. We wait for the Lord in our circumstances. There's, there's a, there's a, there, that, that, that's very, very important. We're not just waiting for the situation to resolve itself. I mean, many people, that's exactly what they're waiting for. I just, I'm waiting for the resolution to my health issue, whatever it is. Rather, I think what this teaches us is that we are waiting for the Lord to resolve those situations in the way he sees fit. And we're willing to wait for him. And as we do, he strengthens us. Noah, for example. Good good, good illustration. Noah was on that boat for darn near a year. And we're told the mountains were already showing. The, the dove had already come back to the ship or to the boat with a little green branch in its mouth. He knew there was dry land, and yet he waited and waited and waited, not for the circumstance to change. He waited until the Lord said, it's time to leave. We wait for the Lord in our circumstances, and as we do, he strengthens us. So what does it mean then, if, if we can access and experience God's presence in our life as we wait for him to resolve the situation and follow his word in the process— How how do we do that? What does it look like to wait? Let me just offer two things of what I think it absolutely means to wait. Number one, it means that we trust Him. You can't wait for something you don't trust or don't believe. Wait is essentially the same word as hope. And hope is essentially the same word as faith leaning forward. So you have this passage in Hebrews that talks about faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's leaning forward faith, or as they preached earlier this year, forward faith. So essentially, waiting, hoping, and believing are all variations on the same theme. Bottom line, if you, you're not going to wait for it if you don't believe in him, if you don't trust him. There's a reason why we adults don't stay up on Christmas Eve until 2 a.m., which would actually then be Christmas morning, waiting for St. Nick to slide down the chimney. And you know the reason. I'm not going to say it in case there's little young believers still out there. You don't wait because you don't believe in him. But when we believe that God is not only there, but he is passionate, faithful, good in all of our circumstances, and that we trust him to resolve those things in a way he sees fit and for our good? If we believe that, then we're willing to wait. But when we give in to doubt, disbelief, well, then we tend to take shortcuts and we tend to take things into our own hands and we make a mess of things. That seems to be kind of the background of this text. This question that, that Isaiah, the prophet, asks of the people, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? No, those are just names for the people of God, Jacob and Israel. And he's quoting them now. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Is hidden and disregarded, as if... They believe that Yahweh was up there somewhere like king of kings and lord of lords. He establishes throne in the heavens and rules over the gods. But he dealt with the big things of life like galactic structures and global economies. But when it comes to your health, when it comes to your struggles in marriage, your struggles with sin, well, he doesn't care about that stuff. That's hidden. He doesn't get into the granular minutia of of life. And when you don't believe that God is in the granular minutia of life and he's not being faithful in those things, well, then that's the area that you're going to compromise. If you're given to doubt, you will compromise rather than I'm going to trust and I'm going to wait. I think one could argue that the big failure in the Garden of Eden was in part a failure to wait. Adam and Eve were made in the likeness of God, and the sense is if they would've passed the test of righteousness, well, they would've secured their eternal son and daughtership, so to speak. The tempter comes along and says, hey, guess what? I have a shortcut to who you already are and will one day become. Just take the fruit. It makes it a lot faster, a lot easier. Failure to wait led to catastrophic results. Another very popular or old story, same kind of thing, failure to wait. Abraham and Sarah said, you're going to have kids. And they were ancient when when God said that, well beyond the childbearing years. And they waited. And then no baby. And so Sarah said, "Guess I have an idea. I have a handmaid by the name of Hagar. You can take her into the tent, and she can have a child on my behalf. Sound like a good idea? Shortcut. Don't want to wait? Oh, they conceived all right and gave birth to a child named Ishmael. And the Middle East has been a wreck ever since. God made good on the promise. The simple point is that when when we doubt that God is one good, can be trusted with the details of our life and the resolution of whatever it is. If we don't do that, we'll take shortcuts, we'll take control, it will inevitably lean into idolatry. Rather than simply saying, all right, Lord. And maybe it's waiting for a relationship. I don't know. We just say, okay, I'm going to wait for you. Whatever that thing is. If you say yes, then I'm going to trust you with the yes. If you say no, it's going to be hard. But I'm going to trust you with the no. Because I wait for you. I know you're good. I know you are sovereign. I know you're in the details and minutia of my life. And you care. If you believe and you trust God with those things, then you'll be willing to wait. So what is it you're hoping and waiting for as a Christian that maybe has you turned inside out because it's not happening? Maybe today you you need to hear the Lord say, listen, you need to wait for me. You need to trust me. I know what's better for your life than you do. So trust me and wait upon me. And as you do, guess what? He's going to draw up next to you. And he will renew your strength. And you'll soar like an an eagle over over the circumstances. And you'll run and you'll walk. You'll find strength because his strength has no end. Waiting requires trust. But it also requires another thing. It requires, oh, by the way, I left this out. I like how the, the prescription or the solution is right here. Right after asking the questions, he's like, "Don't you know who I am?" Like the Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, and His understanding is unsearchable. Four simple statements that tell you of God's eternal being, His creative genius, His undiminished power, and His uh, His unsearchable wisdom. If you don't think unsearchable wisdom includes wisdom in the minutia of your life, well then just remember, he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. That's pretty minute. Trust him. Requires desire. We don't wait for something we don't desire. So, you guys know I like music. My whole family's musical. We like all but pretty much one category of music, which I will not say. So, I don't offend somebody who has that particular artistic preference. I like big band, swing, Spanish guitar music, some classical, a little bit of baroque. Um, I like choral music. This really soothes soothes my soul. Love are listening to it, and I'm, I'm, you know, on a run. Sounds weird. You want some heavy beat music? No, I'm listening to oh choral music. That <laughs> just gets gets me going. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, I also you'll hear in my truck or in my wife's car, you'll hear, country. Yeah, country, don't judge. <laughs> I think there's something that, you know, a tie between country music and Fords. <laughs> now, that might be different. If I was Adam and driving my Chevy truck, I might be listening to Barbara Streisand or, <laughs> Justin Bieber, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I know, I just went there. (laughs) He always gets me at the end, so I just have to preempt it. But, point, I digress. Point, so we went through this phase as a family of listening to Florida Georgia Line. And I didn't know this at the time, I just found their music kind of catchy, and some of their words of some of their songs were pretty good, and I found out later that they actually helped lead worship in their churches. And just recently, they had actually Chris Tomlin come and join them on stage and lead this stadium of country music fans in some worship songs. That's kind of weird, but kind of cool at the same time. <laughs> so anyway, point B: pre-COVID 2019, my wife secured tickets to little, it's not little, but the stadium in Wheatland, you know? And we went, Florida-Georgia line. And uh, in order to get into the place, and there were thousands of people there, you had to go through security. And I'm telling you, the line to get through security was longer than any Disneyland I've ever, line I've ever been in. And we were standing in line, just waiting, circling through like a big, huge, long snake, looking for the shortest line, and then it gets long. And, and everybody, there was nobody upset in that line. Everybody's happy. Why? Because they knew it was going to be that good. And it was really good. There's a reason why we say it's worth the wait. If it's worth it, you'll wait for it. If you don't think it's worth it, you're not going to wait for it. It has to be something you desire, something worthy, something worth it. And there is something immeasurably more desirable than a country music band. And that is the presence of God himself. Like, it's it's not the creation that is the most desired treasure or anything in creation. It's the creator. It's not the act of redemption that is the greatest treasure. It is the redeemer himself that is the greatest treasure. Listen, Jesus didn't die merely to deliver us from our sin. He did that. And without that, the second part wouldn't be true. He didn't merely die to to take away our sin. He died to give us God himself. That is the great hope at the end of the Bible of seeing the face of God. And as we wait for him, we we experience his strength with us, alongside us, and we're able to commune with him along the way, along the journey. The people in the scriptures understood the treasure, who the treasure was, whom have I in heaven but you. And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. That's the heart of a Christian. That's the heart of a believer who's tasted and knows that God is is good. Paul understood this as the God made flesh. When he got to preach, he didn't call his preaching, preaching of hell, fire, and damnation. Now, there is a hell and there is judgment. But he calls the preaching of Jesus the unsearchable riches. No matter how far I go, I can't come to the end of it. He's so unsearchable in the riches of who He is. Which is why He could confess and say something like this. He could say, I count everything, all of of my past and all of my present, everything is lost because of the surpassing worth. You wait for it because it's worth it. Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and in Him to know that we not only get the truest treasure which is God Himself and Christ Himself but ultimately a whole new creation right back to isaiah 65 same book where it says wait for behold i create a new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind waiting for the lord which leads to strength from him not from humans or not even from your own soul or your own body requires trust and it requires desire now you might be here going i'm having a hard time with both those things and I think most of us at different points do. It's because there's, you know, we live in a place where there's a lot of marine fog comes in. And on a nice clear day like today, you can look over and see Mount Diablo or Twin Sisters. And you can look up and it just looks glorious. But then when the marine fog rolls in, it's like you just can't see that stuff. It just looks dreary and dark. I remember weeks at my parents' house where it would be like that in the wintertime. It's like, man, it's just the sun never comes out. We called it the creeping crud, just fog that stayed forever. That happens spiritually if we're not careful, where the fog comes in and all we can see is really the things right in front of us. And what we really need to do is have the skies cleared. And for us to see the majestic mountains of God's love and his mercy and his power, his sovereignty, his promises. And the way we do that is, you know, simple things like we gather together as a church and we sing songs about how great he is. One of the reasons I open my Bible in the morning is is not just because I need to check it off my list. I need to clear the air and I need to see the mountains again. Uh, One of the reasons we gather together in small groups is to discuss how great God is and how we're supposed to live in light of him. That is the habitual way that God has granted to us. To clear the air so that we can remember, ah, I do desire you above all else. And ah, you are worthy of trust. And in those two things, learning what it means to wait. So, what is that thing you're waiting for that you're pining about? And let me ask you, are you willing to surrender that to the Lord in terms of yes and no and simply wait for him because he's good? Are you willing to trust him? Desire him even above that whatever thing it is that you're hoping is going to happen. Because when you do, we're promised that your strength will be renewed. And you will run and you will walk and you will fly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, for your promises. Thank you for bearing the burdens of of our lives. You tell us over and over, cast our burdens on you not with a guarantee of how they're going to work out, but you just simply cast your cares upon me. And that's what we want to do, Lord, so that we can truly wait for you in the small things and the big things in life. And we pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.